Good morning, Outlook family. It is good to see everyone this morning. I am so uh, ready to jump into God's Word, whether you're with us here in the room or you're with us online. Together is a good place to be. Amen? I'm really ready to jump in here. But before I do, there's something else I want to do, and that is take a moment to pray for our friends in Haiti. Uh, If you've been following the news at all, you know that they're suffering from a devastating earthquake down there. And we have partners there in Haitian Christian Outreach. I'm happy to report that they're not personally suffering at the, at the HCO campus there, any damage themselves, but they have been definitely providentially positioned to help a whole bunch of people. They have a hospital uh, that they've built from scratch over these last few years, and it has proven again and again to be such a powerful ministry to reach people at their point of need. And of course, right now, those needs are going to be high. Uh, and so we want to stop and pray for them and just thank God for them. And uh, thank you for your constant support. Your giving here at Outlook helps us support what they're doing down there. So there's a very clear line between you and that the, the aid that's being given down there at HCO. So let's, before we jump into God's Word, let's take a second pray for our friends down there in Haiti. Father, we come before you. Your eyes never close. You never sleep or slumber. You, you're very aware of every detail of what's going on in Haiti right now. And we just pause right here to ask you, Lord, to give a special measure of endurance and supply and provision to our friends at HCO, uh, that as they are going to meet people who are in medical need, that not only will those needs get met wonderfully and completely, and that your divine healing can also be in a space there to flow and touch people, but Lord, that also spiritual healing can take place, that that your love would be evident, and that this would just simply be a wonderful expression of your love. We know, God, you're a busy God. You're at work all over the world. And we're happy, God, to just think about that and think that if in any small way we can be a part of that work, that brings us lots and lots of joy. And so, Lord, be with our partners down there and be with the people who are in such pain and suffering right now. We lift them up to you. And God, as we open up your word, we ask that you'd be with us in these next few minutes. God, use these words to do your work. Let them, the, the words that come from you, God, be planted in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. Back in 1999 and 2000, I worked for an internet startup called Christianity.com. Here's a photo of me holding Hope. She's only a couple months old at the time, and I'm wearing the company polo shirt, Christianity.com, in case you're you don't believe what I'm about to say. Okay, so there's photographic proof that I worked for this company. Now, Christianity.com was a broad, ambitious, venture-capitalized endeavor with coders on the West Coast and Silicon Valley and content creators on the East Coast. And so I was one of those, me and a small band of others who were about to launch the largest and most complete web presence serving Christians and churches around the world, at least at that time. Doesn't that sound great? Yeah, it was pretty neat. Till the internet bubble burst in the fall of 2000, which just brought the whole thing, closed the whole thing up, which led to coming back to Indiana, and here I am with all of you. So you can blame the internet bubble for that. But anyway, 
One of the pro why am I talking about this? One of the projects that I worked on was putting together a series of articles, each describing the history and the distinctives of every Protestant denomination and movement. So it was just kind of a catalog or an encyclopedia of those things. And when I finished with that project, I wrote a reflection piece whose title and thesis has everything to do with what we're going to talk about today. And the title of that article was this, Our Perpetual Search for the Primitive Church. In all my research, I noticed a common theme in all those denominations and all those movements across all these last 20 centuries. Nearly everyone aspires to get back to the basics, to capture the life and the practice of those first Christians. So that's what we mean by primitive church, first church, prime church, church at the beginning. And, and this is a good thing. Uh, in fact, this, this uh, motivation hits pretty close to home for here, us here at Outlook. See, in the first half of the 19th century, a group of American Christians decided to do exactly what we're talking about here. And that sparked what came to be known as the Restoration Movement. Called that because these Christians sought to, as they put it, restore New Testament Christianity to its faith and practice in their lives and in their congregations. And a founder of this movement, a guy named Thomas Campbell, declared in 1809 that our goal should be to, quote, reduce to practice that simple, original form of Christianity expressly exhibited upon the sacred page. Now, it was this motivation and this movement that spawned our church in 1866, and here we are today. So what I want to do for the next few minutes, with this as background in our minds, let's turn to the sacred page, as Thomas Campbell put it, and take a good look at our predecessors, the original Christians. You ready? All right, let's do this. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 44. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let's take a close-up look at this passage and find in there the strands of DNA that we also can live out and see in ourselves here today. Other side of the world, 20 centuries later, here we are. What can we find in there that we can make sure stays here as well? Well, the first thing that jumps out at me whenever you're reading a passage of Scripture, you ought to ask yourself, what's being repeated? What's a recurring theme? And the words together are certainly easy to see here. Clearly, together was important and instinctive for these early Jesus followers. There was simply no other way to do this than with each other together. And if we desire to be like these original Christians, then there's no avoiding this. 
This whole idea of living our lives in Christ, growing in Him, is from the beginning always intended to be done together. So turn to your neighbor and say, I guess you're stuck with me. Or I guess I'm stuck with you. However you want to, you know, phrase that. But together is absolutely part of our DNA as New Testament Christians. But, and this is something the church can often get wrong, so let's tag this base real quick. Not together in a way that excludes others. In other words, it's not, oh, we're all together, and so now it's just us four and no more, right? Sometimes churches can get kind of known for that, or maybe that's only been my experience. Anyone else? Yeah. Sometimes we can have a reputation for being exclusive to others. We, we, we're not sure we want them in our little circle, but that's clearly not what's happening here. Read the words, all the believers, everything in common, anyone who had need, and all the people. Let's say those last three words together. All the people. Not some of the people who are like us. Not, not just the people we agree with. Or not just the people that we're comfortable with, but all the people. This is what love does. And it's for, because we're human beings, it's what we can so easily lose. Love sees others that are overlooked too easily. Love invites them in. Love does not do this. Love does this. Love reaches those others Those that others walk past and ignore. Love doesn't see someone and call them too far gone or too clueless or too dirty or too damaged or too sinful or too simple or too young or too old or too angry or too sad. Mm -mm. Love sees every soul and sees and knows that they are loved by God and that that's what matters most. Amen? So we're reading about a people who knew, they were, man, they were close to when Jesus walked the earth. We're talking weeks, right? They knew their Lord was someone who welcomed the stranger, who ate with those so-called contemptible tax collectors and prostitutes, but he did it with no contempt, only love. Contempt is all over the place in our world today, but it's nothing new. We are to be the people who live above and apart from contempt. Amen? Now, speaking of love, it's hard not to also see these words. Everything in common. Give to anyone who had need. It's not hard to see that this was a loving bunch of people who cared about the needs of others. And that's not just because God only saves people who were nice before he he got to them, right? Right? God doesn't just save people who are already sweet and nice to others. In fact, though that's the kind of person, a person who is genuinely and selflessly loving, that's the kind of person we're being turned into, not the person we had to be before we met God. Anyone find it challenging to love other people, or is it only me? Right? But we are a people who are learning how to love. In fact, if I were to come up with a definition for the church, I don't think that one's half bad. We're people who are simply learning how to love. Love God, love each other, and in the end, love the whole world. 
So they had everything in common. They gave to anyone who had need. They're clearly fueled by compassion and care for others. This is the kind of community, all these things we've talked about so far, what a beautiful thing, right? Doesn't that sound appealing? Something I'd like to be a part of. A New Testament church is not an organization that needs to make sure it runs efficiently. It is not a brand to be managed effectively. It is not a movement or a following that must grow exponentially every week, week after week. Here's what a New Testament church is before it even attempts to be anything else. A community and family that loves excellently. That we're just a community of normal folks who live down the street from each other, whose kids all go to the to each other's schools, who do life together, who come from an area, and then they come together to worship God, to learn how to love as Jesus loved, to enjoy life in Him. People who are just, just salt of the earth, normal folks like you and me, doing life together. That's a New Testament church. And I love this description that we can do that with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. I'm seeing a community here who is captivated by truth and grace, who is joyful just to know and be known by Jesus, grateful to be a child of our Father in heaven. People with glad and sincere hearts who are just constantly coming to realize just how good the good news is. And it's not just for someone else. Man, it's for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. I can't help but just love this description of those early Christians taken straight from the sacred page. Amen? But there's something else going on here, too. There's so much great what and why in this passage, but let's notice how they lived in community. And let's look at this phrase right here. These two little phrases, in the temple courts and in their homes. Now, I, I, this is just my opinion. Our Achilles heel, as American Christians in particular, is that we are trained by our culture to be consumers. I don't really say that so much as an indictment on our character as much as just an observation of our culture. We, it's just, that's what's normal in our culture, is to be a consumer and a spectator. Our first instinct is to sit back and watch, enjoy, right? And be someone who then makes a consumer choice as to this over this. And our challenge as Christians then is to press past this to become contributors and participants engaged in the life of faith and in the mission that Christ has given his church. And these first Christians seem to understand that this kind of community wasn't going to happen only through big gatherings at the temple courts. By this point, we know that there are at least a few thousand believers they seem to understand that the community that we're called to enjoy was also going to have to happen in smaller home-sized groups where they could get to know and support each other. And so with us today, recognizing just how easy and even tempting it is in our culture to reduce church 
to the worship service on Sunday morning. I'm going to church, right? When it's meant to, that word is meant to be describing something that contains that and so much more. We also end up being tempted to reduce our faith then to just consuming religious Christian goods and services, right? But this passage gives us a potent reminder and a clear signal about how this faith of ours is meant to be lived, not only in the uniform rows of a worship gathering, as wonderful as these are, but also in the tight circles of small groups. A little later in Acts, we get another snapshot of community life for these first Jesus followers. Let's take a look at that. Now we're in Acts chapter 5. It says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? Christians are getting in trouble with the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders for saying that Jesus is Messiah, King of the world, Savior of humanity. They don't want, they don't want them to, to be sharing that. They're trying to squash that, trying to silence them. It says they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now check out what's happening here. After some heated and violent persecution, these apostles leave that not deterred in any way. They are rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That somehow the gospel, the, the version of the gospel that says, you know what, when God really hashtag blesses you, you're going to have a life of comfort and ease and riches. That somehow hasn't reached them, right? That instead they begin to realize, no, our Lord suffered. We watched that happen on the cross. Now, in his name, we're being persecuted. We're being trying to be silenced. We rejoice that we could be counted among his number. So they saw that as a positive. And that also is an earmark of what drove their community because they needed each other amidst that. Now Christians are being persecuted in various places around the world and have been since the beginning. In fact, in our modern day, as in this, these last few weeks, we should definitely be thinking about and praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. As they... Uh, have always, living out your faith as a Christian in Afghanistan has always meant not, not being able to do that openly. That is going to be exponentially more true with the things that are happening there now. So we should be praying for them. That is persecution. And they are suffering. And they're not alone in that suffering. And of course, all of us as Christians everywhere know the pressure that comes from our not going with the flow of society's standards and not fitting in. And so such pressure and even persecution, should drive us together as brothers and sisters who follow our suffering Savior. That we can look each other in the eye and know we're walking that narrow way. We're following our Lord, and it will not always be easy. And it, won't mean we'll, and it means we won't always fit in, but we've got each other, and we've got the Lord. Amen? That should drive our community as well. And like these early apostles, it definitely uh, should never stop or deter us from being exactly who Jesus calls us to be. Because as it says here, it, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming 
the good news. They were united in mission, in ministry. And that unity is important. You and other Christians may disagree or not see eye to eye about any number of things. But we can teach this world what real love makes possible and how that love works by our unflagging unity in teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Amen? Oh, come on. Amen. I need a little something more than that. I appreciate that. No, thank you. Now, where did this teaching and proclaiming happen? Where did this vital, unstoppable life, where was that lived out? Well, God, God made sure Luke dropped it in a second time. In the temple courts and from house to house. That when Luke thought of these early Christians in the dynamic of what it meant to live together, this phrase came together, came back to him again. And that should also tell us something. The common thread of how our predecessors lived in community can absolutely and immediately be lived out among us right here and right now. Because the early church is giving us a template, an insight for life as believers. It's a both and. It's corporate worship, it's in-home gatherings. And that together they create a rich and holistic spiritual life and support system. And so let's be super clear. Our church's mission and purpose is this, to foster a community full of opportunities for us to develop as disciples of Jesus. Your development as a disciple of Jesus is the reason this church or any New Testament church exists. That you would become disciples of Jesus who connect and grow deeply in their faith. That you and I are becoming disciples of Jesus who serve and go widely and share the message and love of Jesus. This is what brings God glory. This is what the church is meant to be. And what we see here and what Kate and I are expounding in this series is the fact that, follow, follow our logic, our mission is to see disciples develop. That's you and me. We've seen from the scriptures and from how life works that that kind of disciple development simply doesn't happen apart from supportive, accountable community where you know and are known, where you love and are loved, where you serve and are served. And so groups, what we call simply small groups here at Outlook, are pivotal. And we are leaning into this more than ever here at Outlook. Because we care deeply about all of us growing in Christ and we believe deeply that the scriptures tell us how to do that. This is the least um, unconventional or, or made up idea possible. We're talking about something repeatedly in the scriptures that is given to us that describes exactly how the early church did life together and we are wise to pay attention to it and we will benefit greatly from it. To illustrate that, here's one group's story that I know you're going to love. So take a look at this video and check out one of our small groups and their story. When we joined the church there, we met several people and just got to know them real well, and so we joined the groups. We walked into the church, we didn't know anybody. And this was a way 
to fit back in. Uh, I feel like we were part of the church. Really benefited by it. We thought it would be better in a small group because, you know, you feel like more comfortable asking questions. And We thought it was a way to meet people and to, you know, to join something, to be a part of the church in that way. I need people to pray with. I need people to be honest with. I need people that are my friends that keep me connected to my church, hold me accountable to studying the Bible and discussing that, to showing up to worship on Sunday. Uh, so it's important. I don't care what season of your life. It becomes our life, you know, we, we share everything with the, someone else and we hear their problems and help them as we can. Uh, when I was ill from a, a cancer thing, they guys come over here and cut my grass and did things like that and you know that's just wonderful. It's wonderful. It's just... I, I think this group is easy. Yeah, uh, there's not a person here who's not friendly and uh, you know we're all willing to share something. May not be what we want to share sometimes, but we're willing to talk and it's it's just a fun group. Being part of a small group is a lot of fun. Um, it's this is where my friends are. I come here every week, and even during the pandemic, we couldn't meet in person. We still met on Zoom, and I looked forward to every meeting. Our small group really provides love for each other and, uh, and caring, and we just, uh, there hasn't been a time when we didn't feel like a need to be in a group. And we, we, we look forward to the meetings, and we look forward to just seeing each other, being with each other, and uh, uh, laughing and talking and of course that's a big part of it, uh, the fellowship. We're all in about the same stage of life so we have a lot in common and we can encourage each other a lot and lift each other up in prayer and I think we hold each other accountable too by yeah. being in the Word and learning, keeping our priorities straight and um, we always have laughter when we're together, always. But as a, a group, you know, when one of us sees a need, you know, we talk about it, and then everybody says, sure, we can do that. Service has always been important to Linda and I. We just naturally assimilated them into involvement with uh, our Friendship Bible Study, um, and they put on a meal every year for our Summer Friendship Gathering. My small group is wonderful. My small group. My small group is critical in my life. My small group is my second family. My small group is family. It is our family, and it's I like a small church. And these are my family. <laughs> <laughs>with us. I suppose if you could boil down what, what we want to say today and what I hope we can see from the scriptures is that discipleship simply doesn't work without other disciples, right? Simply isn't possible. Now, I, I recognize maybe you're not yet interested in being a disciple of Jesus. No, no shame. Uh, in fact, I hope you find this to be a safe place in which you can explore that, what that even means and who Jesus is. We absolutely want to uh, wrap our arms around you and get to know you and invite you into that conversation. We are here for you. Worship gatherings are a great place to start that. But I suppose if I were to keep 
observing or, or keep that argument uh, going. I would also say, though, for those of us who've said yes to Jesus, worship services, while a great place to start and something we love to do every week, are not where we stay. That there's more to that. It's where we begin, but then we, we build on that good, healthy habit of worshiping together every week, and we begin to deepen our community with each other. There's one more thing in this first passage that I want to highlight before we begin to wrap up, and that is that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That it is a wonder in this world, the love that Christians can have for one another. That the love and message of Jesus goes out through his people and how and through the way that his people live together. Jesus said as much in John 13 when he said, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if, if you love one another. And love doesn't keep its distance. Love isn't a head nod or a, or a handshake just once every seven days. Love we know is deeper than that. Our connectedness and our connectivity should be so genuine and so attractive that those without Jesus should be drawn to Him, could begin to see through that community what He is doing in and among us and be drawn to it. Amidst all that is tragic and perverse and fake in this world, we get the chance to represent something real and pure and hopeful and true. That being a community of Jesus followers that love each other and serve in the community will tell the truth about God by the way He works in and among us. It's a continuation of this wonderful story of Jesus and His love that has been rolling through the generations for these past 20 centuries. It, that kind of connection multiplies our impact. It points people to reality. And it makes our love Complete. Check this out. One more passage. 1 John chapter 4 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And what? His love is made complete in us. I can't help but think that's a beautiful way of describing the kind of maturity and growth that being a disciple of Jesus is meant to bring us. God's love complete in us. So in groups, we partner in each other's discipleship. We work together to see that love be made complete. Not something you've heard about, not something you wish for, but something you get to live with and live out. For some of us who've been following Jesus for a little while, we know that there's a recurring theme in Scripture that we are supposed to be making disciples, right? That we are to disciple other people. But many times we can be left thinking, but how do I do that? Where do I begin? And friend, I'm making it easy for you here. Groups are a powerful way that we invest in each other's discipleship and, in, and, and we disciple each other. And you can disciple others. We love one another. We learn how to do so. And His love is made complete in us. If that sounds good to you, maybe that's a next step for you. It's not just joining a group, but perhaps leading a group to disciple others. Not because you've got all the answers to all the questions, but because you're ready to take what God has poured into you and just begin to share it with other people. Share that love. Share that joy. 
If you've been a Christian for a little while, this might be your call, your wake-up call. It's time to invest in others. Now, you may be here, and everything I've said about groups and what the Scriptures have said and even that really, really great video, something in you is still saying, you know what, I'm still getting along just fine. I'm not sure I really need what the preacher's talking about this morning. And honestly, I get that. And there's little I'll be able to do to convince you. But I do want to warn you. Life will eventually teach you the lesson that I'm trying to teach you today. You'll need a support system. Someday you're going to need a tight network of Christian brothers and sisters who know what life is all about and who know how to share love. Life will teach us each that lesson sooner or later. So in that sense, I guess I'm just asking you to get ahead of that. You'll be really glad that you did. So to wrap up here, I guess you could say the core truth we're talking about is that Christianity only works in community. And so groups keep us growing. And so if that's true, then we got to group together. we got to form up into groups so that we can begin to live out what we see here in the Scriptures and we can begin to see God's love made complete among us. So let me encourage you. You can get out your phone even right now if you want and go to outlookchurch.org groups. We would love to have that conversation with you about finding a group. We've looked at some beautiful passages that paint the picture of life among and between those first Christians. Friends, I'm looking at some beautiful people who can live out these truths now, here, in 2021. That simple, original form of Christianity expressly exhibited upon the sacred page as Thomas Campbell aspired to over 200 years ago is something that we can live out today. Our search can be over. What we're looking for, friend, is found in Jesus Christ and in life with His people. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this truly beautiful description that we get to read more than once about how your earliest followers did life together. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd simply let that instruct us, let that inspire us, that we too could be people who are continually learning how to support each other, how to love each other, how to be people who are driven by care and compassion, who are driven together by pressure and persecution, who are driven out into the world by the fact that we've begun to see just how amazing and loving you are. Lord, th- those are the people we want to be. And God, we pray that this is the kind, that's the kind of church you would find us to be and that it would please you greatly. In your name we pray. Amen.